Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host Jacqueline, and I'm your other host Jane. And we're here to cover Rick Riordan's famous book, The Red Pyramid. How you doing today, Jane? Um, I'm doing pretty good. I I got a new book, which I'm currently using as part of a microphone stand. Ooh, what's the book? Uh, Leviathan Falls, the uh, last Expanse book. Oh, I love Thomas Hobbes. Nope, nope, that's gone right over my head. Is wait, is uh. Something about like humans being better off in tribes or something. Is that who uh, that I think was? Hobbes wrote a book called Leviathan, I believe. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm unlearned. No, you're fine. You're fine. Listen, it's not like you read. It's not like you're in any classes or you would read books. <laughs> not like I'm a literature student or anything. No, no. Um, How are you, Jacqueline? You know, I'm doing okay. I'm well. You know, I'm excited uh, for you get to for you to get to finish your your expand series. Thank you. I'm doing all right. I'm simply simply vibing in this world. I've had a few days off from work, so I'm feeling rested, energized. Aw, good. Yeah. But, you know, Jane, there comes a time when you have to put aside childish things. I think we need to, we need to put aside childish things and just put up a big old content warning at the start of this episode. What's the content warning? The content well, I think we're going to have to talk about a lot of racist shit in this episode. Okay. I don't. Did, did you, is is was that your takeaway from any of these chapters, or am I or am I crazy? I think there probably is going to be discussion this episode about like the way Rick Riordan handles race for sure. I think that's probably going to come up. So yeah, we can put a we can put a. He certainly is an old white dude. Bro, for sure. <laughs> uh, we'll 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 have things to talk about there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me. The problem is that I still haven't found the thing for my mouse, so I'm having to like reach around the microphone stand and use the trackpad to try and find the fucking summaries. <laughs> I found them. Alright. Chapter 21. Carter. and Kitty to the rescue. With the set creature stalking the bottom of the Washington Monument, Bast needs to split from Carter and Sadie again. She jumps down the side of the monument to lead the monster away from them, while Carter and Sadie go back into bird form and fly like hell for Reagan National Airport. However, when the two arrive, Sadie has trouble changing back to human form again, and starts panicking. Carter calms her down by, te- by opening up and telling her some embarrassing stories about his time with his dad, but this isn't actually enough to make her change back into a person. Instead, Carter uses his dad's work bag as a makeshift arm guard so that she can perch on his arm while he tries to get to the plane. Obviously airport security aren't too keen on this, both because it's a fucking weird thing to do and also because they're very racist. However, before Carter can get in really deep trouble with them, Bast reappears, now disguised as a wealthy businesswoman, and talks her way past the guards, claiming that Carter is her nephew and that he's on his way to a falconry contest. Once they're en route to the actual plane, Bast teaches Carter to use the Duart as a storage locker, where he can chuck his magical stuff when he's not using it. Chapter 22, Carter. Leroy meets the Locker of Doom. Unfortunately, the set animal catches up with them before they can get to the plane. Carter insists on staying behind to get rid of it while Bast and Sadie get to the plane, as he feels guilty for drawing it here and threatening all the mortals. After a short fight, Carter manages to kick the set animal into his storage locker, trapping it in the duart for the foreseeable future. 
Carter then manages to catch up with Sadie and Bass before the plane takes off, and Bass puts him to sleep with a healing spell to help repair the injuries he sustained during the fight. While he's out, Carter's bar goes AWOL again, heading back to Arizona. Inside Mount Camelback, he sees that Set is building an enormous red pyramid, in which Julius and Osiris are trapped. Set plans to trap the rest of the escaped gods in the pyramid, and use it to channel their combined power to become the Lord of All Worlds. The pyramid will be ready to go by sunrise on his birthday, only a few days from now. Set sees Carter's bar and tells him that he greatly anticipates his arrival. Chapter 23, Sadie, Professor Thoth's final exam. When Carter wakes up, Sadie is turned back into a person, due to imagining herself and her mum just hanging out and having a good time. Carter fills her and Bastion on what she heard Set say, and the goddess seems troubled by the implications of Set's plan. He's always been something of a bad egg, but wanting to glass the entire continent to the point where he'd have nothing left to actually rule is beyond the pale even for him, and Bast suspects that something is up with this. After landing in Memphis, they head for the university, looking for Thoth, passing by several things that we're going to have to talk about later. Once at the university, they find Khufu and a bunch of other baboons playing basketball, and after Carter gets the shit kicked out of him by them, uh, we find out that his interest in basketball is, in large part, just kind of trying to impress their dad, who also loves basketball. Khufu leads Carter and Sadie to Thoth's office. Bast doesn't tag along, since she and Thoth don't get along. Thoth himself is a total disaster, very grubby and wearing a stained lab coat with kaleidoscope eyes. He fills in Carter and Sadie on some of the bad blood between himself and the gods they're hosting, including the fact that Isis was the reason all of this has happened to begin with, because she poisoned and then mind-controlled the old god King Ra into leaving, which left a power vacuum that Osiris, Horus, and Set fought over. There's also the additional complication that the last time he helped Horus and Isis defeat Set, things got so bad that Horus ended up beheading Isis. He says he'll only help them defeat Set if they can prove to him that they're not controlled by the gods, and not just repeating the same old patterns. He sends them off to find an item of power in the tomb of a powerful magician. Chapter 23. Sadie. I blow up some blue suede shoes. Carter and Sadie are spat out of a portal at Elvis Presley's house, as he was apparently a magician. While Carter and Sadie are ransacking the place looking for something powerful, two magicians from the House of Life rock up. Carter tries to fight them, and gets turned into a shitty little lizard, leaving Sadie to clutch it out and single-handedly take them both down, all while resisting Isis' attempts to take over her body. However, once they're defeated and she's turned Carter back to normal, the magicians shatter, revealing that they were actually Shabti. They send two glowing balls of light back across to their masters, seemingly containing a recording of the whole fight. Sadie uses magic to fix up Elvis's house, before she and Carter move on to examining the tomb in the back garden. They find a necklace with an arc on it draped over his gravestone, with a small sheet of parchment attached to it, depicting the cycle of Bast killing Apophis over and over again, in the days when Ra was still king of the gods. They take the necklace and head back to Thoth with a bunch more questions for him. So, what do you think of these chapters? You know, I I didn't think they were terrible. Oh? I mean, there's some interesting stuff in here, some like cool action scenes, some... But like... I, I don't know. I, I, what do you think? I, I think there, there is some like really cool and interesting stuff in here that I was like yeah. excited to talk about. Yeah. Like the stuff like the, the Egyptian gods, uh, being like fleshed out as a pantheon in a way that feels like, so distinct from the Greek gods while still being distinctively like Rick Riordan gods, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 
I, I really love that. I we get some good development on Carter and Sadie's relationship in these chapters. Oh, big time, big time. Uh, and we also get Carter explaining um, how Elvis Presley um, made made African American music popular with white people. Yeah. So. Uh... One thing you have to understand when reading the Kane Chronicles uh, is that Rick Riordan, probably one of the whitest people to exist in the world. Oh, uh, definitely. <laughs> this is my assumption. This is my knowledge. <laughs> this is how you get ideas brought into the, the universe of the Kane Chronicles, such as Ellis Presley is a powerful wizard who used Egyptian magic in a form <laughs> because he uh, music is a form of magic and he popularized black music, uh, he, and, which is a very good thing. Of, he did it very purely. There was no, you know, ma- there was no maliciousness. There was no theft. Uh, it was just, you know, he, he did a very good thing. He, he, he brought, he, he brought the music of black people to a wider world and invented the, the genre of rock and roll. And what's better than that? Um, and that's, that's just a, 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 a supposition that you have to accept if you're reading the Kane Chronicles, I guess. That, that is just kind of true in this world. Um, in, in the real world, is that true? No. Uh, starting with sentence number one, uh, Elvis Presley was not a magician. Uh, ending with, ending with sentence number five, Elvis Presley did not invent rock and roll. Um, not even remotely. Didn't even really popularize. I mean, okay. I'm not here to give like a history lesson, right? Uh But I think suffice to say that like... This is a very, very, like, just fucking cheeseball way of reading history. I don't know. I I showed a couple of, uh, a little bit of this to a um, uh, fr- friend of the show, Ewika. Ewika. And uh, I think her response put it, like, quite well. Uh-huh. It, it's kind of this white liberal American idea that Rick Ryden has. American America happens because uh, great men take like bits of other cultures and kind of mash them together and then that's what makes America well right because the thing with everything in this series so far is that this this lines up perfectly with the idea that like the Egyptian gods are now centered in the United States because mm-hmm. that is the heart of Western civilization which <laughs> exists and is a thing and also Egypt is a part of Again, weird that it's it falls under that umbrella, Rick. And weird that... Weird. Just weird. <laughs> just strange and weird and obviously so much like... I don't know, American chauvinism. I I, I kind of want to thank uh, Rick Riordan. Uh-huh. Because we, we said at the, at the start of this book, um, when we started reading about, like, you know, Carter's an African-American character. Uh, some stuff about that is going to come up throughout this book. Uh-huh. And we said, you know, listeners, we're, we're two white people. We might have some blind spots about this. We're going to try our best, but um, uh-huh. just just be patient with us. And I'm really glad that um, what Rick's done is he's put something in that's so terrible on the face of it that, like, we couldn't possibly miss it. No, that's the thing, <laughs> is that, like, okay, it's 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 incredibly easy to criticize this. 
And not only that, but it also should be criticized. So we're going to do it. It, it is, and it's what we're doing right now. <laughs> That's right. This these chapters are a mess. Like it's it's not just the Elvis thing. Mm-hmm. The and I, I I can see. Okay, so like when we're, we've talked about this book and Percy Jackson, they're all like road trip books, right? If we go yeah. from one location to the other, we get a very loosely drawn portrait of those locations and adventures happen within them we we go to Um, the big arch in the san louis and we move on yeah um so memphis memphis is a town with a lot of history memphis tennessee uh it's got a lot of culture it's got a lot of it's very i don't know historically significant in a lot of ways and overall like describing memphis as a town that is like very divided and so far as like there here's the town here's the part of town where like it's like oh super big houses of like here's where like the rich white people live and Uh. also most of the other town is black people that i guess i've never been to memphis but judging from what i know of the rest of the entire united states that's probably accurate um the way that rick riordan describes uh Uh. the the way that rick riordan chooses to go about this is by saying that, and this is from Sadie's perspective also, which is also important to note, Sadie has a different perspective on things than Carter. That's true. Uh, Sadie is looking through the town, and she's like, it's so like folksy and interesting that she sees like two shirtless black youths, and they're, they're strumming an acoustic guitar, and... Uh, then she sees, oh, uh, it's a, it's a, she sees a long line outside of a chicken and waffles store. And I say store, uh, like a restaurant. Yeah. And, uh, description in there. Yeah. Like like, these, these are not inherently bad things to put in, in your description of somewhere like this. No. But when they are all that we get, it sure does kind of seem like you search through, like you you didn't do any research into it. You just kind of thought. This is what an area where a lot of black people live looks like, right? And then wrote that. Right. Like it's not the problem the, the it's not the problem that these are details included in the description of this area. It's the problem that these are the only details yeah. included in the description of this area. Ugh. Like it gives me a headache. It's fucking like it's such a like a careless way of like describing things that it really just feels I don't know. It, 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 there have been some like loving portraits of. Well, I don't know. Have there been? Lo- mm, I'm I'm changing my mind. Mid sentence. <laughs> I'm not changing my mind on this. But All like, right. does does Rick Riordan in fact lovingly portray various areas, or are they kind of all? I mean, they're all like I said before. They're all loosely drawn. Um, I don't know. Does Rick Riordan usually do a very good job of describing his places? I think sometimes he does. I, I don't know this, this from the like a non-US reader perspective a lot of what he does is like listing landmarks that you uh-huh. would know through cultural osmosis if you're American and if you're me you have to go on Google Images and check what the fuck this place looks like <laughs> that's a good point that's a good point like uh, a lot of Rick Ryden's writing uh, super depends on like oh I know what the arch is I know what this what the Hoover Dam is ah, this I is already... what the wings of the Republic's feet look like I don't think that most people know that, Jane. But uh, apparently, yeah. according to the book, it's like a thing that people go over and rub their feet. Well, okay, yeah, but I think that's a little <laughs> bit different. Uh, and and we helpfully posted pictures of those feet we online did. for everyone to see. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. There's 
it's just it's just kind of distasteful. I don't know. There's something distasteful in it. Uh, we we get like in, in in like this this scene with like some stuff that is quite dodgy possibly. Uh, we do get like a, a really interesting thing about like Carter's relationship to basketball. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. I know that you were talking to me about like um I know that you're saying that like it's kind of suspect that like the main black character of the book and his main interest is basketball, which like definitely is like something that is also like pretty immediately subverted, I guess. That yeah, there's there's, there's two sides to this coin and both both sides of the coin are good actually which is that it's immediately subverted also like i mean percy was into basketball we dunked on it for being on on the blurb and him almost never doing it but it is stated in the text that he enjoys basketball kids love basketball i'm willing to just accept that rick thinks that basketball is like a young people thing yeah no this is this is this is true i love basketball when i was a teen hell yeah but yeah you're right because it does like what we find out is that is that Carter is in fact terrible at basketball, um, and he's quite 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 bad at it. Uh, it's very comically bad at it. I, hmm. <laughs> I I I wonder if Carter's been done slightly dirty by the text here, because why, it does describe why, like the orangutans like throwing the ball at him and like punching him over and trampling on him. I don't <laughs> know if this is a fair assessment of his basketball abilities. You know, I guess that's fair. I mean, Jane, <laughs> you've never played basketball before, I don't think. I have. We we played it in PE sometimes. You've never played real basketball before. There's Probably there's not. punching. There's trampling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but he 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 ends up pretty bad uh, at the end of it, um, and I don't know. Like, I think there's the the thing with Rick Riordan's writing for characters is that he's pretty good at fleshing out a character's personality, their relationships, and uh like all you know, he's pretty good at writing a character. Definitely, yeah. Sometimes those characters are very deep in some places, not very deep in like, how would you describe this character's I don't know, this feels weird to say because like a character's like interests often don't like they can very much matter. But also uh-huh. sometimes it just doesn't matter. Like I don't, I don't know what like Doctor Frankenstein. Like <laughs> I don't know if he likes basketball. Maybe he does, but it like doesn't matter. That's why he was making the monster. He wanted someone to play with. Right, right. We know he's interested in like creating like life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like what matters about that story. Or I mean, there's more to it. But <laughs> yeah, you know, broad um, strokes, broad strokes. But I think, like, there is, like you said, um, Rick Riordan, because we don't end up knowing so much about, like, like, we know a lot about what Annabeth is interested in and Percy Jackson. Mm-hmm. She's, like, really into architecture. Um, but we tend to just get, like, one big thing for any given character. And we don't really know anything about, for instance, like, what Sadie is interested in as, like, a person, what her hobbies are, et cetera, et cetera. And, like I said, I don't know, there, it to an extent just, like, doesn't matter. But also, I don't know, there is that, that aspect of, like, when you give a character an interest, why are you giving that character that specific interest? What does it mean for the story? Yeah, I, th- I feel like, actually, like, that's possibly one of, like, Rick Ryden's strengths in his character writing, is that we don't get, like, you, d- you don't get, like, a particularly, like, deep character. Uh-huh. But A, that's okay, because it's a kid's book, and, like, you, 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 
you're better off having like broadly identifiable characters in that sense. And B, he is quite good at taking those interests and making them relevant to the character. Right, right. Like Annabeth's interest in architecture, like that characterizes her in a lot of ways in terms of like her relationship to her mother and the fact that she like doesn't really give a shit about like anything that her dad is into. And now and now with Carter and the basketball thing, it's almost like subverting that idea a little bit like giving this character an interest and then pulling the rug out from under the reader and saying he's not actually interested in this and here is why that characterizes him even more yeah because it's it speaks to like his relationship to his dad and like the things they've bonded over that aren't just like homeschooling and egyptology um and also, it like it's part of like it speaks to Carter's character that he doesn't really he's maybe not very good at basketball, but he can like recite like stats, right? Yeah, I, hmm, I yeah that that brought to brought across to me the idea that he just like he doesn't necessarily care about basketball, like possibly at all outside of supporting the team he likes. But he like has sat for hours and memorized all of these statistics just to like please his dad. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, I think that's one of those, I don't know, meaty little possibilities. Like, it feels like it could be either way, because Carter is, like, a nerd, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I can see him being the, like, kind of kid who's like, oh, I'm gonna go and look up all the stats, figure out all the, how the game works, you know? Um, Or I could just Yeah, and it'll be, it'll look like my DMs uh, during that period where you got into Blaze Bowl. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um... Or, or it could be what you said. And I kind of, like, I guess I would... I guess I'm saying the same thing you said, but, like, I feel like he, Rick Riordan does actually tend to go in really deep with the character in that way. He just doesn't widen them out. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. There, There is, like, certain things that you can, like, very identifiably latch onto about who the character is. Yeah. That are very... very painting in very broad strokes. Again, in a good way, because it's a kid's book. Yeah, absolutely. Um... So, like, overall, I don't know. These these chapters are, like, super frustrating in how they handle, like, very... I don't know. I don't Tell know. you, why, cha- why don't we, we, we take a little bit of a break? Why don't we rewind the clock a little bit to chapter 21 and 22? Because we haven't really talked about the airport stuff, and that's mostly before all of this really frustrating stuff happens. Right. The air- So, I mean, you summarized it already, but... You know, Carter is going through the airport uh, because he he that's where he and Bass are going to you know fly to Memphis. This scene was so funny. I I, I was chuckling all the way through at every point where like Carter gets confronted by like a hurried looking businessman who just sees this like filthy child with a bird on his arm. And, yeah, he's and just Carter like... just goes like, "How's it going?" <laughs> Yeah, he's just like, oh, you know, taking the old Falcon on a, <laughs> on a, on an airplane. Don't mind me. And Bass, and Bass saying that she's like bought a ticket for the Falcon was very good. With her fucking like psychic paper or whatever. Vast <laughs> and Kitty, kind of a milf though. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad that you said it because this is also in my notes. I'll read it verbatim. I'm just going to say it. Bast is hot. She's hot. She has a cheetah print bodysuit and is happy to turn on bimbo mode to flirt her way past the guards. She's really hot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bast, Bast rules. Um, it's true. She's, uh, like, she, what's up? <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm, I'm just I'm going over the pages again and I'm looking at one of the guards like just calling her mom and my first thought was like me too buddy <laughs> oh god uh, yeah she comes to Carter's rescue in a very good way yeah uh, she somehow managed to escape the set animal I think that was because she can run at 60 miles an hour as as canonically stated in this book which uh-huh. fucking hell <laughs> god and it's a it's a it's a good scene it's like that good got a good mixture of like there's a lot of suspense and kind of like a little bit of like oh this is pretty scary what's gonna happen with carter and then she successfully comes in and defuses it yeah i mean like uh, us being dumb lesbians aside i also really love the fact that like she's wearing this like very flimsy holographic disguise uh-huh. And the fact that that just kind of underscores the fact that they are skating on such thin ice with these guards. And, like, at any moment, this, like, griff they're running could fall apart. And I just, I think that's a really, a really nice little parallel that's drawn there. Right, because all of the magic kind of, I don't know, all of the magic that she's doing is very, like, surface level. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here's a scrap of paper, and you see, like, words written on it that aren't there. Yeah. Here's, like, uh, I'm just wearing the same outfit, but, like, I kind of glamoured it up a bit, and if you know magic, you can see right through it. Yeah, definitely. And that makes for a pretty interesting, like, what, you know, what is Bass's relationship to magic there? You know what I mean? Uh, we also get some more on Bass at the, at the tail end of these chapters. Yeah, I. This this was kind of a weird moment, uh-huh. because it kind of it's it's a twist about information that was established like the previous sentence. Uh yeah. I mean, it's not really that, right? It's a twist on like it's not a twist. It's like I don't know. I feel like it is kind of treated like a big revelation. Like oh, it, everyone thought it was this cat god that uh, periodically killed Apophis. But actually, this illustration looks just like Muffin. But I think I think you're getting hung up on that. I think what you need to be looking at is further uh, back, like a few chapters ago, when we learn about like this is unfolding the mystery of like what was Bass doing, what was the creature she was oh, fighting forever. Oh right. And and why and like the further added to this, if she was there to kill Apophis, who was go like forever kill Apophis, who's going to end the world. Oh, that's why, what the implication of that was. Like why did why why did they release her? Yeah, I I hadn't put together that that's what was happening there. Yeah. Okay. Now now that I know that that's like okay, that was probably something to do with her being locked in the duart. Now that suddenly yeah. is a very effective reveal. I. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. it was just Rick Riordan like flexing his mythology muscles and saying, "Here is a thing that I read on Wikipedia," and now I'm changing a bit. Please be impressed. But no, no it's, I, it's better get, than that. Yeah. No, I get why you felt that way. Um, but I think this is actually a pretty big reveal. Yeah. No, you've, and you've it, swayed me. <laughs> it kind of even makes Bass' character make even more sense. Because, like, if she was, like, basically the one keeping the world from ending, what the fuck is happening now? <laughs> yeah. What? Where is Apophis? Where did where the big snake Apophis? go? Good question. It's kind of kind of scary. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a big snake somewhere. It could be anywhere. Watch out. Look under your desk. Maybe the snake is there. It's going to bite your toes. I didn't see a snake, thankfully. Thankfully. A moose got through security. It's under control now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone sees the, the set animal, who was just as funny as I thought it would be um, last last episode. Mm-hmm. 
just a big fucking silly evil anteater. Um, everyone sees it as like a moose, just like a, a rabid moose that just bursts into the airport, <laughs> barreling through the streets of Washington D.C. for some reason. <laughs> and you know, I I really enjoyed both this fight and like the action scenes later on. Mm-hmm, definitely, like Carter getting to flex those like. It's like clever fighting trick. Like he just learned about the like the duot locker trick, and him immediately putting that into like, well, what can I ex- like logically extend that to? Yeah, um, I, with with a different character, I might complain that that feels like just oh, introduce a power and then immediately uh, go into a situation where it's convenient to use it. But I think it it works really well to like characterize Carter as like he's a quick study. Like, we've seen from the past few days, he's adapted to all of this shit remarkably quickly. So it makes sense that as soon as he learns about this, he's thinking of different ways to apply it. And it kind of plays into a conflict going on with, like, because I think, if I remember right, this whole time Horace is kind of, like, urging him, like, you know, just let me do it and I'll destroy it really easily. Yeah. But Carter's like, fuck that, you know, I'm not gonna let you take control of my body. And Carter, like, using his, you know, thinking cap yeah, and really kind of was like wow he was able to do it on his own you know and this really ties into like like later on with sadie there's the conflict with like oh the shabti that both sends and um like the the um there's a part where isis is like you know just let me take over your body and i will you know i'll i'll destroy them in a you know i'll you know blink them in the fire or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck uh but sadie's like that doesn't feel right i'm gonna do my own thing and not and all this comes together into like i think what is becoming a pretty effective like i don't know the like the horror of their like psyches almost blending together yeah it's it's a really good way of adding like adding an extra layer of tension to the fights yeah because there's almost like this ticking clock in the background of like if they get too badly hurt, or if they get like hit on the head or something, and they're out of it for a second, you really do get the impression that like just like just like that, the god would like snap into control, and that would be it. Yeah, like at the most, we get like Sadie like barely holding on to like like managing to scrape out a little bit of Isis power. Mm-hmm. But it's it's I don't know it's it's pretty effective. Like I think I know we were like oh this is pretty funny when they started freaking out about like oh they're we're we're possessed by gods ah uh, yeah that think, that that well, I stand by that scene being funny but it is growing more and more horrifying as it goes yeah it, exactly like it's the the sinisterness of it is growing that that being said the I feel like a lot of the the, the battle in Elvis Presley's house was like very funny. Oh, definitely. Because I feel bad for laughing at this bit, but there's the part where, like, Carter tells Sadie to hide, and he goes out to try and fight them. And there's just, like, a loud bang, and he falls over. And for context, one of one of the uh, Shabti is carrying a shotgun. Uh-huh. And for, there was a split second where I thought that Carter had just been, like, instantly domed as soon as he walked around the corner. It's so... Luckily, it was a magic shotgun. It was a magic but... shotgun that turned him into a shitty little lizard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there's, like... There's a lot here. Um, 
again, like I know we were talking complaining before about like, oh, this is not a very funny book. It's getting funnier. The the joke started hitting in about chapter sixteen, and it's been pretty consistently funny ever since then. And I'm very happy yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the same fight, there's a oh. little interesting. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, uh, just to round out the jokes discussion. Uh, there was even a line in here that redeemed a joke that really didn't land earlier. What was it? Uh, Sadie has one of the um, like an elemental shabbity like pinned down, and he's like trying to use magic on her, and he shouts fire, water, cheese. <laughs> Fuck. Which, <Yeah>, it's... <laughs> it didn't land when fucking Doughboy said that the fifth element was cheese in the library, but like seeing someone actually try to use it in a fight suddenly makes it quite funny. <laughs> yeah. No. There's. I think what what um, Mr. Riordan has uh, has figured out in this book is the the effectiveness of timing. Yeah, uh, there's there's some really well timed jokes like that in here. Definitely, yeah. St- stuff you wouldn't expect to come back, but that does. In the same fight, we get like at the end, some like orbs fly out of the shabti. Mm-hmm. And this this what what do you think of this? Because to me, it reminds me of. Of, of something I mean it didn't remind me of anything in wait now now that you mention it uh-huh now that you mention another like point of reference for like oh they they fall down and magically an orb containing their soul comes out of their mouth and then flies away okay does kind of have dementor vibes you need to like go to jail what I'm talking <laughs> about is the part I'm talking about the part where Zia uh an orb flies out of her oh yeah i'm never talking about harry potter please understand (laughs) this we talked about harry potter almost constantly for at least like the length of lightning thief but (laughs) i'm not listen i'll I'll do like a really long lead up and like make it really really cursed if i'm going to talk about it all right I, i i understand but no i'm i'm talking serious theory about this book all right Oh wait, actually, uh huh. I'm now, now that I am like I am off that incredibly cursed train of thought and back back with you in reality. Um, like not only is like orb come out of person, um, like similar to the Zia thing, it might also explain why she has no memories. Oh, because like the Shabti like send their experiences back to Thoth or whoever it is like to show him how the fight went well we assume that's what happened we don't know that yet yeah well that, that's what sadie says happens yeah so if zia is like set like somehow accidentally like firing her memories off into the sky or something do you think zia could be a shabti Ooh, oh wait wait but because her dad found like an evil shabti that burned down the village well, it was an evil monster inside of an artifact, right? Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. Just makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah. But I, I guess we'll have to wait to get like something more concrete on that. But that's a really good spot. I didn't think of that at all. Thank you. Thank you. I I read books for a living. And I, I don't. <laughs> I work at a donut store. Um, but also, I read books for fun. Yeah. I Speaking of theories, what do you think is going on with... Um, like Amos and Set. I I just assumed that Amos had gotten captured earlier. I could have sworn that we saw that happen. 
we we saw him be captured but i i have an idea and maybe this is off base okay because now because last time set appeared to us the first time he appeared he was like a just like a glowing fiery form the next time he was like kind of a monster like he'd maybe taking uh, a host of some sort of monster like animal i think i understand where you're going with this <laughs> this time he's a human mm-hmm what interesting if, i wonder where he got that form from what if and now it's not described as looking like amos uh-huh. but what if he is in fact like he like force forcibly possessed amos i think that's very possible it really makes you think it really makes you think once again the evil god who wants to destroy the whole of the united states has uh possessed the body of someone that the uh main characters care about in order to make it more emotionally conflicting when they fight him. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe. We'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, I, I did, speaking of, like, set, I guess, I did a little bit of, like, research into, uh, like, the demon days. Uh-huh. Because I, I don't know, for some reason that really struck me as, like, I don't think that's an actual term used by anyone. Uh, and it's, the answer is that it's not. It's just, just a, it's like Celestial Bronze, it's just a riotinism. It's a it's a bit of a riotanism, but it, it is describing like a real thing. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. extra day. It's uh, like the five extra days that were considered to be added to like the year. Um, you know, you, we we already know the mythology aspect yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's in the book. Um, but but it was interesting because demon days isn't like a term I found, but it does kind of connotate the like idea that these days were actually regarded in ancient egypt as like spiritually more dangerous Mm -hmm. and so i think that that is actually like a change especially because the term that i have found um i'm actually is epigenemal epigeminal 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 i think epigeminal is correct epigeminal i have no uh, you could just like paste in like a text to speech voice saying it. <laughs> um, but what I mean to say is that it's a lot easier to say demon days than it is to say epigeminal days. It certainly is. And so I don't super mind that change. Yeah. Again, kids' book. They they need to be able to talk about the book when they're doing the book report on it. Yeah. Spe- speaking of um, like to to go back to like parallels between these gods and the Egyptian gods. I was I was extremely thrown off by the fact that Thoth has apparently met Hermes. It's interesting, right? It's interesting because I I had assumed that like like Amos kind of lampshades it in the first few chapters. He says, "Oh yeah, my shitty neighbors are the Greek gods. I don't talk to them. Don't speak of this to me again." Basically, and then they move on. So I'd kind of assumed that like a line was being drawn under that. But no, apparently Mr. Fucking Owo has just goes and has a chat with his Greek counterpart sometimes. It makes like perfect sense also. Mm-hmm. Because like we know that like there is the history of like like Greece, Greece, like conquering Egypt and stuff like that. From a law standpoint it makes sense, just from like a story structure tra- standpoint. I'm surprised that like it like Rick went for it this quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I also think it's really funny you describing real life history as lore. Well, no, I I mean from like the in universe, like like all the gods live in America. Sure, sure. Um, but I I actually do like it because it does it kind of speaks to that like 
how did the gods feel about being conflated with Greek gods also? Uh, the answer is that Thoth doesn't like it. Yeah, they um, seem quite pissed off about it, actually. But I think that almost makes it more interesting that Rick Riordan prefers in every instance that there is a, like a like one of these available always seems to prefer to use the the Greek name of a god rather than the original Egyptian one. Yeah, that is quite interesting. Like I don't I don't know if I have any big thoughts on it other than like hmm. I mean some of it might just come down to it being like more recognizable. Like those are just the names that are in in the popular culture. Right. Like, I I think that's like true. But also it's like he doesn't have to do that, you know what I mean? True. Like, he could just make the choice to be like, these are the Egyptian gods, here are their Egyptian names. Which I guess is very, very interesting in the context of, like, I don't remember if we actually talked about this on the show, there was a line in, like, an interview about the Cain Chronicles where Rick Ryden said that, like, he thought it was very important to situate this kind of story around, like, Africa. Uh Uh-huh. And to then, like, from that jumping-off point, use the Greek names. And I'm not rendering any kind of judgment about it at this point or anything because i haven't thought about it that deeply (laughs) but it is an interesting decision with that in mind yeah usually like we have gotten gods who only have like who like nut like nut there's get uh like uh gab Mm -hmm. but also then we have like uh gods where their names are used like where they're like greek names are used and then like like oh with thoth they're like oh jehudi that's such a silly name uh and like i do like i do like that thoth at least gets to like hit back and say shut the fuck up it sounded it it only sounds weird in your context right right yeah um and there's like the double thing of like i guess it's interesting to be like i guess it's interesting to present that and then be like haha isn't it kind of funny sounding yeah (laughs) this egyptian definitely um but also i don't want to be entirely like I don't know. I don't want us to be a show without self-criticism. We also have made... We also were like, Jehudi, isn't that kind of a funny name before? Uh, yeah, I, so, yeah, we've, we've done that kind of thing. That's happened. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. There, there are many sides to this thing. The mythological setup of, like, Horus... Not Horus versus Isis, but, like, the idea that there was, like, a conflict there is presented here. I'm I'm guessing we're diving into another mythology corner here. No, not necessarily, no. Okay. It's said that, like, oh, you know, they were working together to fight Set, but, like, their relationship, like, Horus got super pissed off and just, like, lopped Isis's head off. Mm-hmm. I, I love that um, Isis's response to Sadie learning this is just a blithe little, I got better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, they're, the, like... The, like, interjections from the gods possessing them are always, like, are pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Um, But I think this is an interesting setup because Carter and Sadie have been, like, growing a lot closer together. There's this really good and kind of, like, really good scene earlier on when Sadie is once again stuck as a, what is it, a kite? Yeah. And uh, Carter is just, like, talking to her like she's a wounded animal and, like, like, very gently and calmly and, like telling her about all this all the adventures he'd gone on with their dad and it's a really like a really good scene yeah it's it's i i like that even though it doesn't like work at changing her back because it's obviously something that's like quite outside her frame of reference 
Like, just the act of him opening up that much calms her down. That's a really nice moment. Yeah, but I feel like this is going to be... What this kind of feels like to me is that, like, this relationship growing stronger makes it, like, if they if their relationship also crumbles in that way, it's going to hit even harder. Uh, don't make me think about that. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I calls it, I, I calls it as I sees it. God. It would, it would be kind of fucked if the book just ends with Carter, like, beheading Sadie. I, I certainly hope it doesn't, but that would be super fucked up. <laughs> I, speak, I, I know we were just saying, like, oh, ha, ha, Rick Ryden uses the Greek names for the Egyptian gods. But I do think, like, one thing that this, these chapters really set in stone is, like, a very different characterization for the Egyptian gods. Yeah. Which is, um, like, the Greek gods were very ostentatious. Like, they, they were very arrogant and they were very shitty, but a lot of the comedy of them came from the fact that they thought very highly of themselves. Mm-hmm. And the, the Egyptian gods seem more like just kind of jackasses. Uh, can you go a bit more into that? It's a like necessary extension of like the way they've been set up, I think, which is like the idea that they will constantly repeat these cycles and make the same mistakes again and again. Is that that kind of translates into, in in a on a more moment to moment level, they're all kind of fucking dumb, which I I, yeah. I I find I find it very entertaining that these characters are dumb for like like a, an in universe story reason. Which doesn't feel like it's undermining the tone or like breaking the universe just for a funny wacky moment or something. Yeah, or like I don't know. I wouldn't even put it as like all oh, these gods are very dumb, but they're like so obviously like disconnected. I guess. Yeah, the 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 ISIS like I got better line, like that's that's funny, but it also indicates like I don't give a shit that my mortal host got like fucked up. That doesn't right, matter to me. Right. Yeah, and like. Um, Thoth, like Thoth is shown as being like, uh, like an eccentric professor, I guess. But he's also like, as they walk up into his room, he makes the discovery that he is not in fact in Egypt anymore, that he is in Tennessee. I, I, I love the characterization of Thoth. Cause uh-huh. I, I was expecting like, um, Wan Ton, the big owl guy from Avatar. Uh-huh. And what and what Rick has done instead, which I think is quite clever, is that he's made Thoth the god of all knowledge, including yeah. really fucking useless or obvious knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Which that's a, it's a fun twist on the character, which also translates into some pretty good comedy from him discovering that barbecue tastes good. Right, he's like, "Oh, barbecue tastes good." There's music exists. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, uh, I'm in. I'm not in Egypt anymore. Like he's very like nutty professor, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to come across as too brain poisoned. I know I've already drawn one like uh-huh. parallel between this book and something else. Uh huh. But if I had a nickel for um every series that I'd read or watched, where like. The characters go into this like this tiny little office in this shitty university and find an ancient primordial being that's been hiding out there who's playing an electric guitar because he doesn't realize that anyone else has come in. And also the office is bigger on the inside. I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Is this a, a Doctor Who this, thing? This is, Doc- this is how series 10 of Doctor Who starts. 
Which one is that? Is that is that That's that's the, the last Capaldi one which starts with him like just he's just been chilling in a university for seventy years when the story starts. That's so funny. Yeah. I don't have any proof that Stephen Moffat read this right before he wrote that series. I'm just putting the possibility out there. Stephen Moffat, famously terrible writer. Nobody likes any of his runs. Nobody likes any of his episodes. If, if you would like to hear someone argue against that, go listen to Nectar of the Pods, our Patreon bonus show. <laughs> if you would like to hear someone argue against that, you can also listen to me personally, also on Nectar of the Pods, uh, watch Stephen Moffat written episodes of Doctor Who and say, these are good. <laughs> Like, but yeah, there's, so there is that, like, like, because of that, and because of, like, the way that, like, Isis and, like, I guess Nut as well, like, they're all so above, like, mortality that they yeah. do kind of become lost, and, like, you kind of don't know what's going, like, you know what's going on, but you also don't know what's going on at all. They're, they're only capable of, like, understanding what's happening through the lens of, like, what the other gods are doing. Yeah. Like, they don't seem to have any kind of consideration for, like, anything that happens to the mortals who get caught up in this. Mm-hmm. Like, Horus has not indicated in any way that he's concerned about Set because he wants to fucking glass a continent and kill millions of people. He seems to mostly just want to be in control of Carter's body and be king of the gods. Right. He's he's mad at Set for the same reason he's always been mad at Set. Exactly. I, I think we're about ready to wrap up, but I have one like one last thing. It's just like a little thing that I've noticed while we were talking. Uh-huh. I think Rick Riordan, uh, he has some he has some big failures as a writer sometimes. Um, there are little moments of like parallel that really impress me occasionally that I like don't even notice until I guess until I'm doing a podcast about it. Mm-hmm. There's that really good scene, like I said, uh, about Carter trying to transform Sadie back. Um, and like very, like it's, it's very, I don't know, tender, it's nice. And, you know, ultimately it does not work, but uh, you know, still it kind of, I don't know, heals something between them a little bit. Um, and then later on in chapter 24, uh, Sadie, uh, takes Carter out of her pocket while he's a lizard and imagines him and like, just imagines him as a boy again. And he transforms immediately back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and he's like, "How'd you do that?" I, and I, I think that's like a very good parallel of like things that aren't so immediately contrasted, but like the the contrast is still there. It's there, and now that you bring it up, it is like it feels like Rick is doing a good job of keeping track of the power levels, because uh-huh. like the vibe that we've definitely gotten is that Sadie seems to have like more magical potential than Carter. So it makes sense that when she is in this situation, she is, like, more easily able to solve it with her magic. Yeah. And it's also good that, like, Carter has his own approach to it that doesn't involve magic, which still contributes something to the situation. Right. And even beyond, like, oh, power levels, it it, it shows that there is a certain amount of care being put into, like, what these characters think about things. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I do appreciate that. Uh, I, I guess, do you want to, do you want to call it there? Oh, wait. Okay. There, there is one thing What's that up? we need to talk about. What's I, up? S- Sadie's absolutely unhinged line while she's on the plane. Uh-huh. Where she, she is in first class. She is drinking a glass of Coke 
And she says, wow, I'm drinking it out of a glass and with ice in it. Americans are so weird. Uh-huh. We drink things out of glasses. Do we, you? We put ice in things. Do you, do you, I, I don't, listen, according to my good friend Rick Riordan, <laughs> and uh, Br- British people do not drink Coke out of glasses with ice in it. I guess we don't anymore. <laughs> I... You know, I I don't know what to say about this. I I feel like I have heard some things before about people being like, "Coke in a glass, what a novel concept." Is it? But it, surely, if you if you have a can of it and you want to drink it with some ice, you you put it in a glass because you can't get ice in the in the little hole on the top of the can. I suppose so. <laughs> it just I confuses right. me that he seems to think that this is like a this is a uniquely like Western civilization thing. <laughs> It only happens in the heart of the West. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, I think that's a good place to call it. I think so. If you'd like to reach this show, you can check us out on twitter.com slash unwisegirls. You can get all our links, our Discord server, Patreon, uh, email, our own personal Twitters, etc. You can support us by leaving us a review, rating, five stars, uh, anything you want to do. Tell your friends. Uh, but especially by going to patreon.com slash unwisegirls and supporting us there monetarily. Uh, for $1 a month, you get the special role of, fuck, okay. We forgot we, again. Okay, we, we forgot to, again. Right. Immediately after uh, we finish recording, we need to talk about this. We it's, say this every episode. It's getting to the point where it's like not even a good running joke that we don't, we keep forgetting. <laughs> no. Uh, for $1 a month, you're a camp counselor and a Discord server. Uh, for $3 a month. You uh, are a friend of Dionysus, and you get all of our bonus content. Uh, we talk about various things. The bonus show is like, it's on like a weird semi-hiatus at the minute. We're releasing them bi-weekly instead of weekly because I am getting destroyed by exams for the duration of this month. Yeah. Uh, but uh, last last episode we talked about, I I screamed about how bad Doctor Who is now. Uh, we talked about Homestuck for I think like over half the episode's runtime. Yeah. Uh, fucked up anime boys, and there is just like thirty unbroken seconds of silence in that episode because I thought it'd be funny. That's which right. I, I understand is not a great sales pitch, but I feel like for the sake of transparency, I need to mention that it's there. <laughs> it's important. Um, and also, I don't know if you know if everyone listening decided to you know like oh i can drop three dollars a month for for this podcast uh it would help jane in her her time uh, <laughs> she, she's she's slammed with degrees and tests and exams uh, and papers it's it's actually scientifically proven that for extra every extra dollar that we make per month on patreon uh, my marks go up by that percentage i'm in trouble <laughs> and i need your help grab your parents credit card <laughs> <laughs> Oh, please, please help Jane. And you'd also help me. I work a minimum wage job. Uh, yeah, I'm, for... I'm, I'm at least on a student loan. I'll be fucked later, but ja- Jacqueline is... I'm fucked now. <laughs> uh, uh, for $5 a month, you get all of your bonus content, the special role of Aphrodite's Chosen, and also uh, a shout-out at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, uh, this week we would like to thank our very generous patrons, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye.
Bye. Bye. I think Atlas ever like looks at Nut and is like, Mom, those look heavy, may I carry them for you? What the fuck did you say? Well, Atlas holds up the sky. Oh, oh, that's funny. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>